Not too long ago, I was having a conversation with a friend uh, about their social media friend philosophy. And uh, this friend of mine said, if they haven't had a meaningful connection with someone on their friend list in the last year, uh, they drop them as a Facebook friend. Uh, which I don't have a written Facebook friend policy, but my policy is probably the opposite of that. If we've had a meaningful connection in the grocery line, uh, walking past each other, you're, you're probably safe on my friends list. Uh, and my friend was saying that you know, after six months, if, you don't, if he doesn't particularly like feel a connection or like that person, sometimes he'll drop them even sooner. And so I, I just want to say I love my 2,000-plus Facebook friends. They mean so much to me. That, uh, that friend from seventh grade Bible camp that uh, added me in 2005 when Facebook came out, we haven't talked in 25 years. But I tell you what, I enjoy seeing his kids grow up, right? Like it's a deep, meaningful connection that's there. And I just want to think about this fact of what does a friend really mean? Like, what does it mean to actually be connected to somebody? I also want to say good morning, Mount Pleasant campus. It's good to be with you today in person. Uh, those of you at the Alma campus, excited to be uh, with you as well, virtually, and also to the hundreds of people that gather each week online. Good morning. Uh, we have more opportunities to connect right now than at any other period of time in history. You know, the fact that in our pockets is a device that can connect us to pretty much anybody in the world is pretty incredible. In fact, if 1980s Aaron, as a kid, could picture just what capacity is in our pocket, it would probably blow my mind. And yet, over the past several decades of increasing technology, of increasing opportunity, statistics on loneliness and depression in our increasingly connected world have continued to skyrocket. In fact, they have skyrocketed even before a little thing called COVID. There was a study that was done at the height of the pandemic in 2020, and over a third of respondents to this national survey reported feeling lonely almost all the time or all the time. And even more alarming, 61%, almost two out of three respondents to the survey between the ages of 18 and 25 reported high levels. And those statistics on loneliness are tied to other alarming increases in depression and anxiety. So how can it be if I have so many people on my Facebook friend list, so many people that I follow, how can we be feeling lonely? And I just want to say, I do know everyone on my Facebook list. It's not like they're strangers to me. But the number of people that we know does not equal the number of true friends that we have. So today, as we talk about loneliness, does that resonate with you? Have you felt isolated before? And I know, you know, probably for all of us at different times, we feel isolated, but do you feel sitting here right now or listening to my voice alone? Perhaps you felt it two years ago when the lockdowns were first starting at the start of the pandemic, and it felt strange to be cut off from normal routines and normal relationships, but if you're honest, some of those things that felt weird two years ago don't feel so weird anymore. Or maybe you've tried relationships, you've put yourself out there, and you've been hurt 
by someone that you've been connected to. But right now you would say, you know, I feel like there's something missing from my life. You were not meant to live life alone. God created you to be made for relationships. You were made to know and be known. It's this two-way street. I don't know, for many of us, I think we probably grew up watching what friendship is supposed to look like from TV. You know, a picture of friendship from sitcoms, and so maybe you picture friendship and you think of hanging out at the drive-in on happy days. Or you think about sitting at the coffee shop talking about absolutely nothing on Seinfeld. Or maybe you think of 10 seasons of watching friends, of these, these, these friends that are, you know, are they going to be together? Are they going to make it? But doing life together, experiencing that together. Or maybe you think of friendship and you think of the quirky similarities that bond you together on shows like The Big Bang Theory. And I watch shows like that, and I, and I think there's a piece of us that wants something like that. Maybe if you don't feel like you have a close-knit friend's circle, you know, you could say, you know, it's hard to find something like that, people you can truly be yourself with. You know, the idea of true friendship, not just the kind that you see on TV, because we also realize soberly that that vision of friendship is just written by writers, but relationships where you don't have to pretend to be someone that you're not. A, a friendship where you can take off your mask and let that false version of yourself uh, disappear. Where you can be accepted and truly accepted just as you are. A friendship where you can be vulnerable. Where you can let them see your faults and know that you're accepted for all of your quirks. That that other person is in your corner. Have you experienced a relationship like that where you felt truly safe, that there's this give and take, it's not just what you're putting into the relationship, but it's also what you're able to receive from that other person, someone who cheers you on, where you celebrate each other, where you show up at each other's life events. And maybe that relationship is found in a spouse or a family member, or maybe it's a friend that feels like family, accepting and being accepted celebrating and being celebrated, serving and being served, loving and being loved. I think all of us long for a relationship like that. And too often we settle for much less. I know that I have at times. We're in the series called Unsubscribe. And in the first week we talked about unsubscribing from distraction to being more present. And I don't know about you, but I've been practicing the presence of God as Pastor Allen talked about that first week. Then we talked about unsubscribing from more and realizing that we have enough. Unsubscribing from overwhelm and moving to rest. And I enjoyed a really good Sunday afternoon nap that Sunday that Pastor Allen talked about that. And today, I want to talk about unsubscribing from isolation and moving towards connection. Because you were not made to do life alone. You were not made to be isolated. And some of us, you know, if we're honest, have fallen maybe into some bad habits of isolation. And my hope is maybe you would break out of that. Or maybe you've tried and haven't been able to find friendship. And my encouragement would be for you to keep pushing because you were made for connection. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis. 
You know, God creates the heavens and the earth. He brings order out of nothing. He creates the plants and the animals. And, and out of all creation, he comes to the pinnacle, the climax, and he creates man. He makes Adam in his own image. But God quickly follows after creating Adam and says it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates woman, a partner for Adam, a meaningful connection a friend. In Genesis 2, it says that they were both naked and not ashamed. Talk about vulnerability in that first relationship. And so if you are feeling isolated today, hear this. It is not good for you to be alone. Now, I realize that everyone is unique. I realize that we're all wired uh, uniquely, and so extroverts, you know, some of you are like, give me all the relationships I can have, like, I just want to meet everyone, everyone is a new friend to love, but if you're honest, sometimes as an extrovert, you can have relationships that are a mile wide and an inch deep, or others might say, you know, I'm wired as an introvert, and I just need one or two meaningful relationships, and I'm good, but again, if you're honest, if left to yourself, you might end up with none. So there's no perfect expression on how this idea of being connected is, is lived out except that you cannot do it solo. And so even as we're talking about this idea of, of, of connectedness, for some of you, you may be even in your seat right now, sitting where you're at, feeling this need, a longing, and even as I'm speaking, you, you said, you know, I felt that feeling of isolated. I've, I felt that feeling of being alone. Maybe you're surrounded by people on a consistent basis, but you don't feel supported or you don't feel known. Or maybe you fear that if, you know, if they really knew the real me, what's going on inside my struggles and my hurts, then I'd know that they would probably run from me. And my hope my prayer today as we look at God's word is that you would begin to look and work towards finding community. And, and for those of you who already know and follow Jesus, for those of you that would consider yourself a follower of Christ, that you would particularly look for meaningful community with other believers in Jesus. And so over our time together, I want us to look at some ways to do that today. And, uh, and here's the first one. I want you to evaluate your relationships. Evaluate the relationships that are in your life. Where, where are the relationships that you are currently invested in? I was in student ministry for years, and uh, there was a, uh, I don't know if this is a scientific principle or just a fact of life, but it seemed like when you put a group of girls together, you could assume that that group of, of student females uh, their IQ collectively would go up. they make better decisions, they're good problem solvers, they would encourage each other. Uh, the opposite is certainly true because it seemed like in student ministry, whenever you put a group of guys together, their collective IQ just seemed to drop a little bit. And again, I don't know if this is scientific or not. It actually reminded me, I was thinking about this, of uh, a time in high school, uh, and I was at a friend's house, and, you know, the hormones were pumping. And so we were in his, his mom's backyard. Uh, and we had the, the bright idea to take uh, some cans of gasoline and to write out the initials of the girls that we loved so that we could share it with them and proclaim our love. And so we're out there. We get the gasoline all over the place. We light it on fire. 
And just then, this magnificent display is there. His mom walks out the backyard, this look of disappointment and disgust. I can picture it. And we were speechless. I can guarantee I would not have been that dumb on my own. <laughs> and so here is, here is the scientific principle. Dumb can rub off. <laughs> and that doesn't just work for guys. It doesn't just work for students. It works for all groups of people. It works for adults. It applies to adult life as well. Maybe you've experienced this. You've been uh, maybe at work and uh, maybe your coworkers have a way of speaking that we'll just say is a little salty, or a way of joking around that's a little bit crass. And initially, you know, it's shocking, but eventually you find that you are beginning to speak and, and, and participate in the conversation in the same way that they are. Or maybe you're in a workplace where it's all about the sale. It's all about making money, and, you know, it's not necessarily about integrity. You know, whatever you need to do to make a buck, uh, that is a culture of greed that's there, and you find so easily that you're brought into that way of people around you. Or maybe the people that you hang out with, you know, it started as social drinking, a drink or two, but, it, you know, it's progressed past that, and now it's, it's a point of we can't get together and not drink, and it, it becomes this destructive habit in your life. I've seen people who've been connected to church for a season of time, and they feel like God is working. You see exciting things that are happening in their life, but they, they start hanging out with a different group of people, and they're doing stuff on the weekends. They're staying out late on Saturdays, and how quickly it pulls them out, that pulls them away of what God is trying to do, the different values that are there. Proverbs 13.20 says this, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Solomon, who was, the Bible tells us, the wisest man who ever lived, he wrote those words. If you're surrounded by fools, you are likely to become a fool. Instead, surround yourself with wise people, because dumb can rub off. And the opposite is also true, wisdom rubs off. So thinking of those examples, again, maybe you've been in a workplace where a coworker, you know, rather than what we said before, they're, they're positive and they're always speaking well of people. They're building them up. Uh, they, they don't use, you know, certain language that would tear people down. And as a result, the people around them begin to assimilate and use those same words. Or maybe if you're like me and you have a hard time getting into a good routine of working out, an accountability partner who shows up at your door in the morning, is encouraging you and texting you when you don't show up at the gym, is pushing you to do better. On Thursday nights, we have an incredible group that meets here at the church called Celebrate Recovery. And it's for anyone who has a hurt habit and hang up. So pretty much everybody is on that list. But being in that space and seeing other people who are putting the work in and are, and are, are trying to do better, are admitting their mistakes, it is a powerful thing to be surrounded by. And you see other people taking steps Surround yourself by the wise, people who are having a positive impact on you. It's a lesson that we often teach our kids. You are who you hang out with. Now hear me out. I'm not saying that you should sever all relationships with people who may have some issues. I'm, I'm not saying that you should cut off relationships from people who don't have the same beliefs as you. But what I am saying is that you should be discerning who God may be calling you to have a relationship with. It, with. 
evaluate your relationships. Because there may be some potentially negative influences in your life that you are tied to either relationally, where it does not make sense for you to completely cut out that person out. In fact, you probably shouldn't. But here's what I am saying. You know if a relationship is allowing you to have a positive impact on that other person, or more importantly, if you're, if you're really honest, if a relationship is having a negative impact on you, on the way that you see the world, on the way that you engage, on the way that you're able to you know, even grow as a Christian, if a relationship, uh, if you are in a relationship that is allowing you to have a positive impact on someone, I think God may call you more towards that, but, but move away from negative impacts. Uh, we bought our house a number of years ago, and the previous owners had like this beautiful landscaping that went all around the perimeter of the house. And being new homeowners, uh, we had a philosophy of if it's, if it's growing, just let it grow, which is a terrible landscaping philosophy. Uh, but in the back of this yard, the previous owners had these rose bushes that I just have to assume was the pride of their entire yard. And we just let those suckers keep on growing as it went. And the next year, beautiful roses came up from these rose bushes. The next year came around, and a few less roses came out. And in fact, we started to find that these bushes were turning into this tangled mess, and they were dying. Another season comes by, and there's no roses so we finally get wiser and we start asking people we know that have green thumbs. We start doing some research. And those who are gardeners are saying, you know, the, allowing this plant to just grow without tending to it, uh, you're cutting off nutrients, you're blocking sunlight. Uh, you need to go in and prune. So I went in with some really thick gloves to get past the thorns and some clippers, and I cut that down, took out all the dead uh, brambles that were in there, all the dead vines, and what I was left with was, was just a few green sprouts that were coming up from the base. And sure enough, after pruning it back, this plant came back to life. And now I'm happy to say we have these beautiful flowers that emerged. Pruning works. And some of you need to prune some of the relationships in your life. So evaluate your relationships. Look at the relationships around you. Are there some that you may need to unsubscribe from? Are there some that you're intentionally leaning into as an opportunity to love or share Jesus? And are there some that are potentially having a negative impact on your life? And God may be saying, you need to put some space there. I think there's a, a powerful thing because it's not just something we do on our own. You can ask God to help you evaluate your relationships. God, which relationships are you asking me to invest in? Do, do I have people in my life that are building me up, that are making me better, that are moving me to be more like Jesus? And after you prune, now you can make room for intentional relationships. Make room for intentional relationships. Look for relationships that are either you intentionally investing in someone else, encouraging them, or someone is encouraging you. And finding a situation where you can do both those things is amazing. Here at Community Church, if there was one thing that we would ask you to do beyond just being here on a Sunday, worshiping with us, it would be to join a group. 
And there are some people who have been around the church for years, and, and a common thing that I'll hear as one of the leaders here is a sense of, I just don't feel connected. I don't feel like I have relational connections with other people. And I typically ask in that moment, have you joined a group before? Not to say that groups are perfect, but strategically for us as a church, groups create an environment where intentional relationships are possible. Groups create an environment where you belong, where there are other people who are cheering you on, where the relationships that you have are shaping and molding you to look and think and act more like Jesus. And the word that we use around here in the church to describe that process is discipleship. And right now, it's actually a really hard time to join groups because many groups are pausing for the summer, but maybe you've looked before and you haven't found that perfect group environment to be part of. Would you pray and ask God to maybe be part of of making that happen, of joining a group for the first time? Or maybe you've been in a group or you've tried to find a group and you haven't quite found a group that meets your needs or that you're able to fit into your schedule. Would you pray about maybe starting a group, of, of creating a space where that environment can take place? Then also on this idea, you know, I think COVID has not only left people feeling more isolated, you may find that in the last two years that those feelings of loneliness have come in as a result of just what we're walking through collectively as a country and as a community, but it has also maybe fostered some unhealthy habits. For some of you, over the last two years, you've snapped back to old routines of busyness and you're running a million miles an hour, you're going back to vacations that got put on pause and it's leaving you no time. For others, you've maybe fallen out of a rhythm of connection, maybe specifically not connecting with other Christians at church. You know, and it also blows me away how blessed we are over the last two years of the explosion of online church. There's an aspect of online church that is amazing. We are so excited. There are hundreds of people that connect every single week. And there are teams of volunteers that make sure it sounds great and that, you know, the quality is there and that it looks great. Uh, And online church is amazing when you're homesick. It's amazing when you can't be here in person or when you're out of town. It's amazing when maybe you are in a place where you don't feel comfortable or aren't ready or able to be in a large crowd yet. But can I challenge you? You don't just need the church. Being here in person is not just about you being here for the sake of being here. The church needs you. You are part of this church. The church needs you to represent the gospel. Every single week we welcome people into this space that are hearing the news of Jesus for the very first time. And we need every single man and woman in this body to be here as part of the body to be here present in this family. Be intentional in the way that you lean into relationships. And and church, I also want to thank you for the ways that each of you across all of our campuses online, that you intentionally lean into the relationships that are represented here in this particular local church. And the ultimate example of this, of, of how to live out intentional relationships, was Jesus. So Jesus was God himself. His capacity was so much you know, more than our capacity, to say the least. But Jesus lived his life to model what living in perfect obedience to God really looked like. And so if I were Jesus' 
publicist reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would, if I was his PR guy, I probably would have said, let's, let's maximize his impact to the crowds. Let's get him in front of as many influential leaders as we can. Let's make sure that you know, he's getting the most bang for his buck when it comes to his time. But Jesus didn't. If you read about his ministry, he invested in intentional relationships. In fact, the way that Jesus invested in his closest relationships, his closest followers, his friends, his disciples, that that was an, an actual integral part of the, how he modeled the Christian life. And we see that Jesus had several significant relational circles beyond his mis- ministry to the crowds. In, in Luke 10, we can say that the, the first circle that's there, in, uh, starting in verse 1, Luke chapter 10, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the crowds are following Jesus. They're they're loving what he's doing. They're they're seeing the miracles. They're seeing these messages that he's proclaiming. And and out of those crowds that are following, there are those who would be considered disciples. They were trying to learn from Jesus. And Jesus, he intentionally looks for and recognizes 72 individuals, and he trains them. He coaches them. He, He shows them how to do what he's doing. And then he sends them out in twos. I love he sends them out in community. He sends them out with partners. And they did ministry together. They went ahead to the villages and they modeled what Jesus had done. And they're successful. Jumping ahead to verse 17. It says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. There's a sense of celebration, excitement about what Jesus is doing through these 72 followers who are being part of God's kingdom mission. But inside that 72 is another inner circle, a more concentric circle of relationship. Jesus had maybe what you picture when you think of Jesus' disciples. He had a group of 12. And these 12 guys, they lived their day-to-day lives with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They slept in the same place as Jesus. They, they saw him in front of the crowds, but they also saw him backstage. And the result was that these 12 guys knew Jesus personally on a deeper level than anybody else. Now, could Jesus have invested that kind of time into the 72? Well, he's Jesus, so he, he probably could. But could you or I invest that kind of significant intentional relationships in that large of a group? Definitely not. And within those 12 closest followers of Jesus, Jesus had an even closer inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were among the earliest that were called by Jesus in Luke chapter 5. In Mark 9, Jesus goes off to a mountaintop to pray, and he brings, uh, he brings Peter, James, and John with him. And, and the Bible says he was transfigured. He was transformed, and part of his godly brilliance shone through. And in that moment, Elijah and Moses, these two incredible figures from the Old Testament, they show up, and they're just hanging out with Jesus. And it's Peter, James, and John who experience that level of relationship. It's also Peter, James, and John who are with Jesus the night before his crucifixion. A moment of deep vulnerability where Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is crying out to the Lord. These three experienced time with Jesus at some of his greatest moments of glory and his darkest trial. 
So why did Jesus set up these intentional circles? You know, it doesn't, on the surface, immediately seem fair. There wasn't like this equal access to Jesus plan. I imagine it was actually probably awkward at times, thinking if I wasn't in that inner circle and a follower of Jesus, why, why am I not getting the time with the big man? You know, perhaps there were even hurt feelings associated with it. But we know that Jesus never sinned. Jesus never did wrong. Jesus was willing to risk jealousy for the sake of deep, meaningful connections, intentional relationships. And we see the impact of Jesus' intentional relationships with these, these circles. The church around the world, the room that we're sitting in right now, are a result of their continued work for the sake of the kingdom. So church, there is a limit on your relational capacity. There's just a certain capacity that you have in the relationships that you have. And so what are the intentional relationships that God is calling you to invest in? That's my question for you today. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's in your family. I think there, going back to Adam and Eve, that sometimes a spouse can be that sense of, of relationship, of community if you happen to be married but that doesn't happen automatically. It takes intentionality to invest in that relationship. Or maybe you're at a place where you have kids in your house and you find, man, I'm pouring into my kids, but I wouldn't necessarily think of that as being leveraged for the sake of discipleship. And I would say, if you have kids in your house, they're your number one mission field. Maybe it's a friendship where you are looking for or needing to, to lean into an environment that describes more of that picture of friendship, of, of encouraging each other, and where you're being developed and developing others, and you need to look for that. Or maybe there is a relationship where we talk about this idea of how can you share the gospel with someone else, and a name pops in your mind. You're saying, I know exactly who God wants me to speak to, to, to leverage, to open the door to a conversation. I need to get to something more meaningful. Here's my last challenge for you today. I want you to look for ways to deepen your inner circle. Look for ways to intentionally lean into the way that you're developing the people that are around you, the way that you are leveraging connection and relationship. And the first way to do that is to, to take small steps. If you are currently uh, in a habit of sitting on your couch and your calendar's wide open and you're not connected to many people right now, uh, you can't go from zero to 100 uh, in, a, in a flip of a coin. Uh, be praying about how to take small steps towards opening a door. Maybe it's uh, more proactively reaching out or sending a text, making a phone call, setting up coffee. Number two, invest time. Put it on your calendar. If you're like me where, you know, sometimes relationships isn't like natural mode of operation, uh, one of the powers of being in a group is that it puts it on the calendar where I know intentionally I'm going to connect with other people on a regular basis. It's scheduled in. Invest the time. Be vulnerable. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, uh, when I'm first coming into a group for the first time, how sometimes the walls go up and people, people wonder, is it actually safe for me to be myself? I was in a group recently and was just appropriately vulnerable about things that were going on in my life, things I was struggling with. And it was amazing how that vulnerability opened the floodgates of people talking about things that they were actually struggling with, things that they were actually working on. Be vulnerable as a way to open the door towards deepening that inner circle. Welcome people in. Show up when a crisis hits. How often now when something big is going on in our lives, we post about it on Facebook 
and we see long lists of people who are praying, which is an amazing aspect of Facebook, but is that extent, the extent of which we are actually caring for each other? It's someone who was experiencing a loss a few months ago, and I don't always do this. Actually, I'm trying to say, can I do better at this? But I picked up the phone, and I, and I called, and I said, hey, can I just come be with you? And that moment of making a phone call, even with all of this support that was on social media, he just shared with me, you're the only person who, who actually called me. Like, show up when a crisis hits as a way to be a friend. And then finally, be committed. I think the old adage that we teach our kids, to be a friend, or to have a friend, you have to be a friend. Who do you need to be a friend to in order to open the door towards connection? You know, there was another name for the 12 disciples who were closest to Jesus. Uh, They became known as the apostles, and uh, apostle literally means one who is sent. So these 12 guys, these, I guess, 11, and then then added another one after Judas, uh, they go out and they are part of of the explosion of the church after Jesus' death resurrection and ascension up to heaven. They're carrying forward the message of Jesus as well as the methods of Jesus. They're going out and they're they're making more disciples. And we can read about this in the book of Acts, in Acts 2, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love that passage because... It's this picture of of the early church, of something that was exciting, of of celebration about God was doing. They were filled with awe at the miraculous signs that were all around them. It united them together. They were experiencing incredible things. And and in those incredible things, it moved them to incredible levels of generosity. They were part of the exponential explosion of the work of God throughout the church. And I read Acts 2.42 and I say, you know, I want to be part of something like that. Don't you want to fight for that, to be part of a community that is so on mission together? And I also read through Acts 2.42, and and I love that there are many aspects of this picture of the early church that I've experienced together with many of you. People marveling at what God is doing here in this community by his power. Uh, The crazy measures of generosity, not just giving financially, but with your time and your talents the laughter and joy that comes with serving the Lord together and new people every single week, the Lord adding to our number daily who are walking through these doors for the very first time because they want to be part of something like this. So as we get ready to close today, I want you to take a moment right now and I just believe that the Spirit of God may be speaking to you specifically. I think it's so often we can hear a message and we can just skip past it, but I want you to lean in and say, what is it that God is calling you towards? How about you? Are there areas where you need to prune a relationship from your life? Is there a place that you need to lean in and invest in a new and intentional friendship? So if you feel comfortable where you're at, would you close your eyes? 
And I just want to finish with a simple prayer that gives you space to do some business with the Father. Just ask God, God, what is it that you are asking me to do? What are the ways that you want to move me out of isolation into connection? Right now here in this space, would you say, Holy Spirit, would you speak that to me? Father, I thank you for the fact that you created us to be relational. God, that we see that you are a relational God, that you long to be with your people, and that you long for your people to be connected to each other. God, I pray for those that are, that are listening to this message right now, and they would say, you know what? I, I feel that statistic of feeling lonely, of feeling invisible, of not connected. And God, I pray that first and foremost, God, your presence would surround them, that you would, you would make yourself known to be their very present God. And Father, I pray you'd surround them in relationships. You'd move them to places where they're able to connect with each other. God, I pray for those right now who feel like maybe your spirit is saying they need to give some space to a particular relationship. That if they're honest, there's this negativity that is impacting them. Father, I pray you would allow them to have wisdom about how to do that with grace. God, you give them discernment about how to make those actions. And God, I pray for intentional relationships in this particular body of Christ. God, that we would leverage the, the relationships, the influences that we have with our family and our loved ones, those in our community, that we'd be known for the ways that we represent Christ in our workplaces, in our homes, here in this church. God, and right now I pray for every person who had a name come to mind over the course of this message. A name of someone they're saying, man, if, if they could just discover Jesus, if they could put their faith and their trust in him, God, that would be a game changer. And God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would create opportunities of, of ways to start that conversation. God, would you make something different about the, the way that we live our lives, the way that you are working here in our midst, God, that God, it's contagious. God, that people want to be part of it. And Father, we just declare that we state that you are good in all circumstances. Father, we know you work on our behalf. And we thank you that you include us in your kingdom work, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Now go out and make some friends. <laughs> <laughs>